to speak to each of you this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I've given you a couple weeks off, and so I've got to start how I typically start. And we, if you're new here, we want to welcome you to Joliet First. Joliet First is so good to see you this morning. Glad you came out. Uh, if you're new, we're, we're, we're trying to become a community of hope. Uh, and often I think that, that we use the word hope, but we don't actually, we don't know the words to describe it. But we are trying to become a kind of community that becomes the edges of the fields to the world around us. We see in scripture that God calls the farmers to leave the edges of their fields for the foreigners, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And so we're learning what that means. We're learning what that looks like. But we have four core values that kind of guide who we are and shape us who we are into becoming those kind of people. The first one is that we will see God with everything that we have. That we will relentlessly pursue God as he relentlessly pursues each of us. And we believe that out of this knowledge and out of this relationship that we begin to have with God, there's sort of this love that begins to overflow out of us to the point where we want to invest in other people. And we believe that part of investing, giving of our gifts, our times, our talents, and our resources, investing in other people, part of that is to restore them into the image of God. So we seek, we invest, and we restore people with, with a little bit of our work and a little bit of God's mercy. We restore them into the image that they were always created to be. So we then can then send them out to the world as images of what hope looks like. So welcome to Joliet First this morning. If you are new, we're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, if you would, we're going to be reading from Matthew 6 this morning. Would you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word? At the end, as we said last week, I will say to you the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will respond with thanks be to God. Because we must be thankful that God's word is so real to us this day. Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 5. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they, do, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, you have, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their lengthy words and prayers. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those who have committed crimes against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I love this part. We tend to forget this. That that if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not be quick to forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Janelle and I were talking, and she had expressed that she would like to have a desk in the house. Uh... For the last few months leading up, she's had her computer out in the middle of the living room along with papers and cartridges and books. And I mean, it was a mess. Not that I would ever make a mess in the house. I'm as clean as it gets. Uh, total sarcasm there for those of you who don't know my humor. Uh, but, but it was kind of 
obstructive in getting around the house. And so she asked me, she said, can I get a desk? Can we, can we go buy a desk? And uh, I said, sure, you know. Uh, sure, we'll do that. At some point, we'll go get a desk. Thinking like, I'm not sure how we're going to pay for a desk. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. Anyway, we were standing outside. Our boys were uh, skateboarding and doing their thing. And uh, our neighbor comes up. Uh, Teresa comes up and she says to me, she says, we were just kind of talking about life and how things were going. And, and uh, she said, you know, I was just came back from an estate sale and I got a bunch of stuff, a bunch of furniture. She said, you guys wouldn't need a desk, would you? <laughs> And I said, yeah, you know, we, actually, that's funny. I really didn't want to say anything, but I was like, sure, you know, yeah, we, we've been looking for a desk. And she said, well, I have a couple of desks. One is really nice. One has a lot of character. You probably won't like it. Uh, but she's like, you guys can come and look at it. If you want it, you can have it. And so we went, we went down to the house. And, of course, we picked the one with character. Uh, I, I love it. It's, it's an amazing desk. Um, it's amazing what you can get for uh, just a batch of cookies. We took her some chocolate chip cookies. We brought over the desk. We put it in the basement. And what's sad, though, is that what was supposed to be Janelle's has somehow become mine. <laughs> this desk is really just a tremendous place to work. It's a tremendous place to read, to, to pray, to write sermons. I mean, I could get a lot done. And I think some of it's because of the odd placement of where the desk sits. You see, if you go down in our basement, down to the east side of the wall, uh, we have the desk facing the white cinder-blocked walls. And some of you are like, that's not much of a view. That's not much to look at. But for somebody with ADD, uh, that's why I get so much done. I don't have ADD. I think maybe this is an ADD moment, but whatever. Anyway, the, but I get a lot done when I'm down there. But there are times when I do have my moments, and I begin to think, and I begin to ponder, and I begin to look. All of a sudden, I get mesmerized. By the handiwork of the people that have built the house. Many of you know that folks from this church built the house that we live in and, and we love it. But oftentimes I, I begin to think about the foundation of it. I begin to look at the, the beams and the cross beams and, and, and then the masonry work that's been done. And I don't know why I get captivated by it, but I just do. And as I was sitting there this week looking at the foundation of the framework, I began to think about how that really serves for the idea for today, that, that our lives begin with a framework, that a house begins with a framework. You see, the house has a foundation, but it's built off of a framework, an idea, a strategy, a plan. And you cannot have a house without a foundation, but you also cannot have a house without walls, a roof, siding, windows, doors, and plumbing. You see, the, the, the framework is the beginning of the house. And so we have the foundation, which is kind of the framework. It is kind of the outline of what the house is to become. But, but in order for it to become the house, we have to build upon that framework. We just can't use the framework. We have to build upon it. And so I think many of us live by some sort of framework in our lives. The question is, is what kind of framework is shaping you? You see, we have to live by a framework when we want to accomplish something. I always talk about eating and losing weight because that's really my daily struggle. And, and I know for some of you, that's a struggle as well. But if you want to lose weight, you have to begin with a framework. You just don't say in your mind, I want to lose weight. If you really want to lose weight, what it takes is for you to sit down and say, I'm going to eat these foods. I'm going to prepare these meals. In some sense, I'm going to become a professional dietitian. And it's not only following the plan, but it's then having the discipline 
of eating those things that you've laid out before you. If you don't sit down and lay those things out before you, what ends up happening is you, you go back to the routine and the habit of what you've been eating all along, and then you just, we, I, just remain heavy. <laughs> Some of you, you understand my struggle. Uh, some of you are coming out of high school. Some of you are young, uh, soon-to-be professionals coming out of college. But if you can remember back to high school and college, you just didn't come out of school and show up to the office. No, you see, if you were smart, you laid out a plan and you said, I'm going to finish school and then I'm, I'm going to do an internship. And you followed all this, all these plans and the strategic framework for what it means to be a professional and work at, in whatever profession you want to work in. You had to follow a plan all along. Think about doctors. You, you just don't go to the doctor and then they tell you what's wrong and you leave. Maybe, maybe some of you have really bad doctors and that's what they do. I went the other day, I, 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 wore a hat and I got a pimple and I popped it and I put the hat back on. And next thing I knew, I looked like a beluga while my forehead was swollen to, I couldn't even, you know, it was like hanging down in my eyes. This was just a few weeks ago. Uh, but, but I went to the doctor and they told me what was wrong, but they didn't just tell me what was wrong. When I left, they gave me a strategic plan for what to do in order to heal my face. Thank God it worked. <laughs> I was thinking I have a bacterial infection close to my brain. Is that a problem? <laughs> But the, the thing is, is I have to follow that plan in order to be healed. Now, I know some of you may not like this thought that I'm about to give you. But, but I think the church serves as a framework for our spiritual lives. You see, the framework of a house, the foundation and what is built upon it, the framework is sort of the glue in between that holds it together. That... That they're interdependent upon each other. That there's, there's this synergism that, that, that works together to, to hold them together to, to make the house what it was always created to be. And I think the church serves as the fr- framework and the foundation of what it means to be fully human. You see, we, I think it's kind of difficult to live a Christian life apart from the church. Some of us think we can live in existence as a Christian outside of the church. But the reality is that the church is there to shape and form you into a people with a framework that it's, that it's teaching you to become what God has asked you to be all along. And I think we, we miss out on the idea that just as you cannot be a Christian without the, without the church, the church cannot be the church without you. And so there's this codependency between you and the church and the church and you that, that we have to live in this, this cohesive framework that calls us to be one. That as we, we, we come together, we, we are shaped and formed by what I call these frameworks, what I'm going to call practices. There's a great philosopher who calls them practices. So think about framework as practices this morning. The question I want to ask is, what framework are you living? The framework that you're following, is it allowing you to become the person you were intended to be all along? Or is it something other than what God created you to be? So, framework is practices. We have introduced a lot of practices over this last year. They're not new. In fact, many of you would think that they're traditional. Uh, but they're new to us. And so we've done things over this last year like... Uh, preaching from the lectionary. We pass the peace before we begin our worship service. We say the Lord's Prayer during worship. We recite the Apostles' Creed. We, 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 we recite a lot of scripture. We pray prayers of confession. And now we've introduced weekly communion. 
What I find interesting, though, is that we kind of have feelings about these practices. A lot of us have gotten to the point where we say, the service is too programmed or it's too planned. Now, can I ask a question? At what point did God stop working in people's planning? Why is it we think that God can only work through people who are just shooting off the hip and doing whatever they want? Let me tell you, those are the most dangerous people. Those are the people, those are the false teachers that will lead you away from the faith and astray from what has been the foundation and framework of the, the, the Christian life. So what many of you see as programming and planning and structure, you should be thankful that you have a worship team that thinks about strategically why we place, where we place, what we place in the service. The other thing that I have found interesting as we've introduced new practices over the last year is some of us have begun to throw around the C word as though you were a fi- you know, fighter throwing haymakers in the last round of the, the world championship. And by C word, I mean Catholic. You see, what disturbs me is when we say something as Catholic is that we have not understood what it actually means to be Christian all along. That we have a set of practices and values, a framework on which we live our life that teaches us and makes us distinctly Christian. You see, if we didn't have the word, if we didn't have communion, this would just be a great place for you to come and make yourself feel good. And there would be nothing Christian about it. We'll get to that later. But, but the point is this, is there are some of you over the last year, as we've introduced these different practices, you were asking me, Pastor, why do we fill in the blank? Now, let me say this. For those of you who have found your way into my office and have said to me, Pastor, I'm not sure I understand why we do what we do. I want to thank you for continuing the dialogue with me, for working over the last year with me. But then there are some of us who we just think, we'll just not continue the dialogue. We'll just be frustrated. And then we'll just leave the church without ever understanding why we do what we do to begin with. And so we've created a series over the next five weeks on why we do what we do when we come to church. Because this is the framework. This is the investment. This is the life source of who you become when you enter into the world that God has called you to be a part of. Amen. Okay. All right. I'm going to start now. <laughs> so this morning we're going to we're going to talk about the Lord's prayer. For m- many of us, uh, in its lowest form, I think prayer is at times it feels like it's a shot in the dark that I'm just going to speak out into the void and into the darkness. Not really certain if there's anybody listening, but there's a little hope that somebody might answer the prayer. That's the lowest form of prayer, I think. At the highest form of prayer, we get an experience where we begin to move beyond our words and we enter into this loving relationship with the God who is extending his everyday mercies and forgiveness into our life. And we are so moved not by our words, but what God can do for us. Now that's the highest form of prayer. But there is a problem with prayer, and Jesus introduced it to us this morning. And I love what he says. It's interesting that Jesus warns us who we should not pray like. But what I think is interesting is who Jesus warns us not to pray like is what many of us have become when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You see, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish prayer life and and understand what Jesus is talking about. In the Jewish prayer life, they, they had a set of prayers that they had to pray each day. The first one was the Shema. 
Now, the Shema consisted of three passages or three scriptures uh, from Deuteronomy and Numbers that they had to recite before 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. But as you know, uh, good Jews were like good Christians. Uh, we don't actually make space and time for prayer in our life. Uh, we, we just kind of do it at the last minute. It, you know, at times, if you're like me, you're, you're heading to bed and it's like, I forgot to say my prayers. And so you say this prayer that's sort of mumbled under your breath and it doesn't really make sense. And wham, you're out like a light. The Jews did this as well. They, they would wait till the last minute. And it had, had to be said before 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. And so what would happen is, is you know that you can't get through a whole set of scriptures in one minute. And so wherever they were in their life, whether it was walking the streets, whether they were working, whether they were on a hot date, or whether they were in the bathroom, they had to stop what they were doing and say this prayer. And what would happen is they'd try to say it in a minute, and they would end up mumbling the words instead of saying what needed to be said. The other thing that they, they did was there was a prayer called, I'm going to get it wrong, uh, it's called the Shemana Esra which was a set of 18 liturgical prayers that they would pray. And these had, to, these had to be said three times a day, in addition to the Shema. A lot of prayer. Uh, but what's interesting about the 18 prayers is that they would once again get to the point where they were just mumbling and fumbling through their prayers. They weren't actually thinking about what they were saying. And what happened with their prayer life is it became this formalized ritual where, where, where they talked a lot about God, but they never actually thought about the God that they were talking to. Does that make sense? That they were talking a lot about God, but they never actually thought and experienced the God in which they were talking to. There was another Jewish custom, and I'm almost done with the Jewish customs, but we have to understand this. Where they would do a lot of repetition. They would use all the adjectives they possibly could to describe God's name. I gotta be honest, I hate it when people do that. I'm not much of a prayer. I'm not much, I'm not, I'm not good at it. And that's why I'm always insecure about it. But I really don't like when people start prayers like the Jews. They had one prayer that started like this. Blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled, and honored, magnified it. Lauded be the name of the Holy One. That's how they started their prayers. They have one prayer that had 16 adjectives to start the prayer, to, you know, when it, when it addressed the name of God. And what happens is we, we, we sort of have this intoxication of words. And the problem begins when we think more about how we are praying rather than what we are praying. And you have to understand that this is the kind of prayer life that had shaped the Israelite people for nearly the last 400 years. I want you to hear this this morning, that, that when we end with Malachi's words, there is 400 years of absence. There are 400 years where the people of God never heard the voice of God. And yet they continued to have all the external elements of religion. They had a temple. They had a priest. They had scriptures. And what happened is they continu continued to do what they knew when they knew God. And they kept doing it even though they no longer knew God. That this was no longer a response to who God is, but it was rather a ritual. I want you to hear this this morning. That I think the greatest problem with the Lord's Prayer is not the practice of the prayer, but it's with the people who pray it. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say that again, because that was good. 
The greatest problem with the Lord's Prayer is not the practice of the prayer, but it's with the people who pray it. You see, I'm always a bit disturbed when people say things like, it's too liturgical. It's too liturgical. Well, what we mean when we say by that is it's too boring. It doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't, it doesn't meet my taste and what I like. There's no originality to it. It's not off the cuff. But see, I think the problem is we don't know the difference between meaningless rituals and liturgy. So I'm going to tell you the difference. A ritual is something that is done routinely without thought. A ritual is done something routinely without thought where liturgy is something that is lived. Ritual is done with routine, without thought, where liturgy is something that is lived. The word liturgy, which we often misuse so often, is about the work of the people. That is what liturgy literally means. It means to be the work of the people. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying a prayer that is the framework of who we are. You see, I don't think when we pray this prayer, we were meant to look like the frozen chosen or that we were supposed to sit and just soak this in. Rather, or be a people who were unmoved and comfortable. It was never meant to be a prayer where we were left silent. You see, all along what was meant to be the driving force of who we were meant to be has become the routine maintenance of what we were never meant to be. And I think that often we pray this prayer routinely and we don't meet God in the midst of it because we see it simply as a ritual or routine. I think the Lord's Prayer has taught us to live a new kind of existence. That it's a reminder that this, this, this life is not comfortable, but rather it's called us to a kind of work to be the people that God has created us to be. And so praying this prayer is not just about routine maintenance. But as we kind of said last week, the practice of praying the Lord's Prayer is harnessing the power of God. That as we begin to pray this, we are saying to God, we are opening ourselves up before him and saying to him, God, make me this kind of Christian today. It calls us to a new kind of existence that calls us to be fully human in God's world. In a world that believes God ceases to exist. And so I want you to hear that liturgy, my friends. You're right, when we pray this prayer, it is liturgical. It is to be lived in who we are. Interesting that Jesus talks about the work. I love in in Matthew 6.10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You see, what Jesus did there was, was something that the Jews would do in their writing and in their speaking. Is, it's called parallelism, where they would actually say the same things with a bit of a twist. Uh, Psalm 46 uh, says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's two of the same things. And so the, this part of the Lord's Prayer, in some sense, becomes an emphatic statement to say this is the foundation of who we are to be. In other words, it is to be a signpost. Now, now some of you know that a few weeks, a 
ago in August, which I, I guess is not a few weeks ago, is I went on a hiking trip to Glacier National Park with some folks from our church and some neighbors down the street and my father. And what's interesting about hiking is is there are a lot of dangers. Uh, you know, bears can take your head off. You can fall off a cliff 8,000 feet and die. Um, but one of the dangers is getting lost. What's interesting in, in hiking is that... Uh, there are hikers who have gone before that, that prepare what, what's called Karens. I think I'm Karens. It's, hard, it's a hard word to say. C-A-I-R-N-S, Karens. In essence, when you're hiking on a trail that's somewhat obscure and you're not sure where it goes, people have placed rocks, big, giant rocks. And at the top, it's usually a rock that has an arrow pointing you in the right direction. So it leads you down the path where you need to go and nobody gets lost. But what I think about when I think about Karens is somebody, somebody had to take a lot of energy, work, and sweat to get it there. Because if you've, if you've seen these stones, they're not small. I mean, they have to be visible for the hikers to see. They have to be big. And so they put a lot of work into getting there and showing people where they need to go when it comes to, to finding their way to the summit. I think, I think this is what this prayer does for us. Is it, it serves not only for us as a signpost, but for us to become Karens to the world. That through our work and our acts of obedience and love, that, that we will, will not only point people into the right direction, but we will go down the path clearing trees and obstructions that are in the way from keeping people uh, from Christ. That we will become visible to the world of, of what His love and His forgiveness and restoration and hope looks like. That you no longer have to be broken, but, but you can have a life that God calls you to that has meaning and purpose. And so we stand. This prayer, why we pray this prayer is that we stand as a signpost to the world to say, this is the direction that you're headed, and this is what it'll look like when you get there. Amen. Okay. All right. I'm going to clap because I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> you see, I, I, I think the problem is is that instead of being a signpost, we think the purpose of our Christianity is to get to get to heaven rather than bringing the purposes of heaven. One of my, uh, much of the sermon was inspired by a guy I listened to this week. He said this, I love this. You see, the great dilemma isn't that God isn't speaking. The great dilemma is that God speaks through his people and his people have lost the capacity to speak to the world. He said, I think it's a tragedy when a person who says they have faith thinks all they should do is wait until they die to live a life worth living. I love that. And for many of us, that's what our faith has become, that we just wait and live, we just wait till we die so we can live a life worth living. But why do we have to wait before Jesus comes back, before all things can be made new? You see, I... I think we're here waiting, but and we're waiting for God to do something. But the reality is, the something that God is doing is through you and me. That we are the somethings to the world. And part of this kingdom work is believing in the impossible. I love later in Matthew, he says this. Jesus replied, I truly tell you, if you have faith, if you have faith and do not doubt... Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountains... Go throw yourself into the seas, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever, excuse me, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. 
I would, I would like to think that, that praying this prayer, the reason why we pray this prayer on Sunday morning is that we are to become a people who bring about the purposes of heaven on earth. You see, for most of my life, the only existence that I have known is one. I've lived in a world that has been filled with violence. The only existence that I've experienced in this world is people who have found themselves homeless and hurting. There are people who will not eat a meal today, who are starving and in need of food. That there are justice, injustices that happen every day to many of you who are sitting here right now. That is the world that I've experienced most of my life. But I think this prayer for me has so shaped me that I believe that it is possible for the homeless to have a home. That the injustices will one day be made right. That starvation, hatred, racism, racism, and a planet full of people destroying the sanctity of humanity will one day become an expression of what God's humanity looks like for the world. You see, I think this prayer, these are my words that I wrote, teaches, teaches us to ask. It beckons us to believe. It wakes us to the world. And it calls us to watch what happens when this prayer of love comes to life. When we become a living liturgy to the world. That's why we pray this prayer. You see, I'm not going down the prayer today. You thought you were going to show up and I was going to work through the whole Lord's Prayer. I'm just telling you why we say it when we come here and why you need to pray it. I love this thought. The Lord's Prayer is not. It's not the child's prayer. The Lord's Prayer is quite meaningless to children. Um, They don't know what they're saying. But I love when they pray it. (laughs) My kids say it almost every night. It's not a child's prayer. It's not a family prayer. I want you to hear this this morning, that that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of discipleship. It is a prayer of discipleship. And it can only be prayed by those who know what they are saying. And the only way that we can know what we are saying is we are living people who are being discipled. I'm really bothered always by this word, discipleship. (laughs) I love what this guy says about... Uh, Erwin McManus says this. He says, he's talking about discipleship. He says, there's a natural affinity toward domestication that seems to pull the human spirit away from a life filled with mystery and risk. That's really good. And I think I'm going to repeat it. Was that good? Talking about discipleship, he says, there's a natural affinity toward domestication that seems to pull the human spirit away from a life filled with mystery and risk. He says the church has used this word discipleship as a way of of manipulating people to become standardized and conformed. (laughs) We focus our energies on sin management and making people less. You see, I want you to hear this this morning, that that Jesus did not come come here to save you from the world, but he came here to save you for the world. That as we begin to pray the Lord's Prayer, it teaches us a new kind of existence in this world. That we not be taken out of it, but that we'd live in it. Showing people what this all could look like. And so I think when we pray this prayer, it's about shaping us 
into people who live lives of wholeness and beauty and forgiveness. That we become lives that that are invested in other people other than just us. That we are moved out of the pews and into our community. Not to be Bible thumpers and slap people over the head, but just simply to stand before the, the door and say, God loves you. He has purpose and meaning in your life. And if you're broken and if you're hurting, this is not God's intention when he created you. So here's what you need to know this morning when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. This prayer and any prayer is not an attempt to bend the will of God to our desires, but is an attempt to submit our will to the will of God. I'll say it slowly for those of you taking notes. The Lord's Prayer is not an attempt to bend the will of God to our desires, but is an attempt to submit our wills to the will of God. This prayer that we pray together is not a routine. It's not ritual. It is liturgical. It is the work that God has called you to. I want to move from this thought just for one minute. There's some of you here, and I'm so glad you're here. There are people here today who don't believe. There are people here who, when they pray, pray like I described in the beginning, that we're just speaking off into the void and this darkness with, with, with no certainty that anybody is actually going to respond. There are people here today who doubt that God exists. Can, can I just say this morning that when we pray this prayer, there is a Father in heaven who wants to wrap his arms around your broken and shattered life. When I go to bed, when I lay down at night with my kids and they say, Dad, will you, will you lay next to me? Will you cuddle with me? And I wrap my arms around them. And in that moment, they know what it means to have a father. And I know that some of you have never had a father like that. But there is an eternal father who wraps his arms around you, who loves you, who wants to take the brokenness and the hurt of your heart and forgive you and make something new out of you. And then when he makes something new out of you, he wants to call you to a new kind of purpose where we don't walk through life meaningless and and worthless and, and, and sleepy. But we're called to awaken to the, to the world around us that is hurting and broken just like we were. And we're called to become love to those people. And that in the midst of that journey, the Christian life, you will not get everything that you want, but you will always have just enough for what you need. Every day. I'll never be rich. I can manage my money as well as I want to. I'll never be rich. And I'm okay with that. But guess what? I'm okay because I always have what I need. There's a God. I'm still speaking to those of you who are uncertain about this God and that he's this demonstrative, angry, vicious God who wants to destroy the world. There's a God who not only forgives you, but calls you to return that favor to those who have hurt you. You see, the parallelism between God's kingdom 
is also restated at the end of this prayer. That if you choose not to forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. I think we tend to skip over that. I think that should be part of the prayer. We should just kind of shove that up in there. Because we talk a lot about forgiveness. But I think we become very judgmental. And I I think we tend to forget the forgiveness that has been offered to us. This is, my friends, a framework for a new kind of existence. The foundation is the prayer. And we are to build the house upon it. That our lives will be built upon this prayer and foundation. And we will become a living liturgy to the world. So here's what I want you to do. Simple. I have a routine. (laughs) I love it. It is a routine. But it's extremely meaningful in my life. I thought it was a routine when I just started it. But I have a routine prayer life. And it's not routine every day. But when I pray, it's routine. Uh, I have some other folks that are going through it with me. Cara is one of those people. If you're interested, I'll be happy to sit down and share with you what that looks like. But part of my routine... uh, and many of it involves some of the things we'll be talking about over the next few weeks, is praying the Lord's Prayer when I'm done. And what amazes me every time when I pray this prayer is that I move out of the words and I move into a different kind of love that begins to fill me up with the grace of God. That it calls me to be fully human in a world where people don't know how to be fully human, that we live subhuman lives and we treat other people as subhuman, this prayer will move you, my friends. So however you pray, whatever you pray, let me encourage you to begin to pray this prayer, not as an individualized prayer, but as a prayer of believers. It is amazing what happens when God's people are on the move together. Jeannie, I'm going to ask you, I I know this isn't planned, off the cuff here for a minute, Uh, I know this isn't planned, but I would like you to come up and play the last song that we sang while we take communion today. And you can sing it. But as as Jeannie comes and begins to sing the song for us, the people serving communion this morning would come forward. And by the way, we have a whole message about why we do communion. That's coming up. If our, if our servers could come forward this morning, I want you to reflect upon the words that Jeannie is about to sing to us. And, and sound booth folks, if you could go back and, and put the words up on the screen for, for that song, I'd, I'd, I'd be appreciative. I want you to hear the words. As you begin to think about this, I want you to realize that there's a God who loves you. And part of experiencing God's love is to be part of his table. You see, some of you today don't feel invited. Some of you are new today and you, this is all weird. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. I'm with you. I still think we're weird. Uh, A lot of things we do don't make sense. But I do want you to know that And the things that don't make sense, I want you to know that God invites you to be part of his mercy. That when we receive the body and blood of Christ, 
odd as it may seem, we are receiving the mercy that, that we need to sustain us throughout our everyday lives. And that's why we receive it. It's a reminder of his sacrifice. It's a reminder of his power when he resurrected from the dead. And anybody who rises from the dead is worth following, right? So you are all invited this morning to participate in the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning.